Welcome to the One Thing Podcast, where we all get to usher in the new age of humanity, which we're calling Homo Spiritus, by practicing dancing with the one thing that individuals, communities, and countries have yet to try en masse. And that one thing is the connection to the higher self part of us, which is our true anatomy. And people call this by a variety of different names, spirit, source, the divine, love, nature, electronic energy, life force. It doesn't really matter, but it does matter that you call it something that resonates for you. And our prime directive above all else is to make and constantly return to this one thing connection day in and day out actually breath in and breath out (laughs) as things become sped up in in terms of just what happens in a day and this is our first step in, in dealing with life problems rather than viewing life problems as things that are over here separate from our one thing connection we're we're calling the conversation to stay connected to the one thing and then from there we make our decisions and solve our problems so in this episode the difference we're going to talk about the difference between trying to fix the illusion which is basically humanity's humanity's original wound which is separation from the one thing if you will and living into the divine plan we're just going to call it the divine plan which is what could happen on mass if more of us than not were connected to the one thing what solutions could come from that what new systems could we create what patterns and and ways of living that we we that has never been in recorded history so you know we we have to sort of we have to be able to connect into this intelligence in order to draw from it instead of drawing from recorded history which has served to be not necessarily um our our best having our best options um i don't i don't know how else to say that honey (laughs) you might want to say it a different way but i will say that one of one of my favorite beings is buckminster fuller his life was used very um unusually for his time probably even for today's time too and one of his um quotes was to change something we must build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete so that's part of this conversation we know a lot of things need to be made obsolete but in order for that to just be we have to build new models and we're saying that that's most probable with connection to the one thing indeed well said and for those of you who are new to tuning into our podcasts, the way that we ordinarily do episodes is that we have some in introductory comments toward the beginning to kind of frame the subject, and then we plunge into the heart of what we want to say about that subject. And then we wrap it up by uh, offering some takeaways for you to apply the material into your life. And then we give you a little preview of what we're going to talk about in the next episode. So that's what's coming up. And so in terms of that framing, before we plunge into all of what we want to share with you, uh, first framing piece is that from, from our point of view, the illusion, which is the illusion that it's possible to be separated from the one thing, that's the fundamental illusion, um, that it it's to try to fix worldly problems stuck in that illusion makes those worldly problems unfixable 
that attempt that uh, that strategy for dealing with worldly problems is rife with landmines. It is futile, as um, uh, as the Borg would say in Star Trek. Uh, gener uh, the Next Generation and other Star Trek series, resistance is futile. Well, in this case, trying to fix the illusion is futile, but there is something that's not futile. There is something that uh, that will work, but it uh, nothing can work as long as we're trying to fix problems based on the illusion that we're right, that it's possible to be separated from source. Yeah, beautiful. And that's, that's kind of the point about in, in our recorded history, what we remember in our DNA, what we've carried through in our lineages, is mostly the illusion. And so, um, I, so what was I going to say here? Oh, I, I see. Okay, so living into the divine plan, which is what I mentioned just a moment ago, it really requires, first of all, for the regular practice of connecting to the one thing, whatever you're calling that, literally in the midst of chaos, in good times, in bad times, when you're talking to your teenager, when you're checking out at the grocery store, when you're folding your laundry, everywhere you go, if you can be in this presence practice of connecting to the one thing, then what we have access to is a humility and being at peace with not knowing what needs to happen. Like we, we are not going to get this laid out plan in, in, in a vision, right? Like everybody has their puzzle piece. Um, the source of all life, which is so intelligent, if we would follow that, that, um, that prompting, we would all be able to unfold what we're calling the divine plan, which is a, a an existence for humanity beyond the illusion. We would be able to follow that with, with clarity. Yeah, yeah, and actually, you uh, you took some of the words right out of my mouth. Uh, oh. No, it's it's <laughs> perfect. You know, uh, it's it's a funny paradox because. A mind that needs to know is not living into the divine plan. The paradox is that the knowing comes, but the knowing comes after the need to not know. As long as I think I know, my mind is closed to seeing in any kind of expanded way. So the, the starting place for getting free of the the temptation to fix the illusion is stepping into needing to not know so that an openness emerges inside uh, that that attachment to the need to know is an attachment to an illusion of safety that's that attachment mm -hmm. to needing to know is is because we have mislearned where our safety lies our safety doesn't lie in knowing uh, ironically our safety lies in opening up to not knowing so so that something wiser and more loving can emerge into our consciousness yeah beautiful one of the things i regularly tell myself is that i am safe and protected in my connection to I, I say the words divine love or source, 
there's no other place that our protection comes from, but our human mind would have us believe otherwise, like David just said. So how, how will we know? How do we know? Like what, what, what are some of the, um, you know, the things that we can watch for when, that we can, uh, if we're trying to fix the illusion. And this happens all the time, by the way, and it happens to all of us. So please, you know, give yourself some leeway and some grace and yeah, and just just notice without judgment, like, oh gosh, I do that there. And, oh my God, I do it there too, you know, that kind of thing. So one of the, the a few of the symptoms that, that you could recognize as trying to fix the illusion might be a sense of tension or feeling stress or anxiety or, some sort of a pressure or a contraction. When we're contracted, we're not, we're usually not connected. It's when we're connected, there's a sense of openness and spaciousness and lightness of being. And, um, and that's a practice. Mm -hmm. Now, part of why we're stressing this notion of illusionary safety, and especially external safety, the, the notion that, that only when somebody or something changes out there first can I be okay, is that that illusion that my safety lies in someone or something out there changing first is a key component of the opposite version of the next chapter of humanity from Homo Spiritus that Laurie and I refer to as Homo Machina, the turning humans into machines uh, and uh, thinking we know better than the one thing, what's loving and wise. And this illusion that our safety depends on something or someone out there changing or doing the thinking for us or providing the solutions to us. That is a formula for enslavement. That's the, the energy of war, enslavement, and disconnection from nature as well. Uh, and that's a big deal. So uh, just to say something again about what we call homo, homo machina, uh, in some circles, that's referred to as the transhumanists. So if you've heard that term or you're familiar with that term, just translate that over into homo machina. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. There's not freedom in homo machina. You know, most hearts and souls and minds even want freedom and liberation and um, no matter where we live in the world. Uh, and and so that's that's why Homo Spiritus is really, really important to cultivate. Yes. And, and we oh, go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. just one other thought before you go on to your uh, next thought. I, I want to also stress that uh, that part of that programming to what in psychology is referred to as an external locus of control. The, the world is, in, is the boss of me, is what the external locus of control is, is about being programmed into overconsumption. There's nothing wrong with loving things and adventures and stuff like that. But when, my, uh, when I start believing that my happiness, my fulfillment, my safety, my okayness is determined by how much I can consume, it's a bottomless pit. There's only more and more and more. It's a, it's a, a, a thirst that can never be quenched. And that mindset puts other people and external situations in charge of us. And that is the opposite of homo spiritus. 
So right. I wanted to add that before you go on to the next point. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. So we want to also say that we do recognize that most of our systems, if not all, our you know political system, economic system, ecological systems, medical 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 systems, agriculture systems. There, did I say educational? I, I, if I didn't, I meant meant to. They're not serving humanity anymore, and um, and really most of this these systems are crumbling. And if if you know if they aren't if they aren't they will be probably soon and the solutions for creating systems and um well i'll just use that word systems the, the solutions for creating systems that are serving for all of humanity will not come from the illusion we we know that to be true because we've been doing that for eons since recorded history and where we haven't gotten ourselves any any place that much better so and they won't come like we mentioned a minute ago from those places where we think we know what they should be <laughs> because all of that that's another key you know clue that we're inside the illusion when we when we think we have those answers mm -hmm. so true so true so what Lori and i want to pose to you uh, is is based on both of us knowing that many 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 of us struggle about all of these signs of crumbling the 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 dysfunctionality in the medical system and the economic system and the education system um candidates uh, getting elected that that uh, that you happen that you might view as being part of the problem that's going to make things worse or leaders of other countries doing things uh, around the world that you think are making uh, things worse for humanity or for other people, things like that. We want to pose this to you. What if it's okay that this crumbling is happening? Not what if it's okay that people are dying or, you know, that, uh, you know, that horrible things are happening, but from the 40,000 foot uh, view level, what if it's okay that systems that Lori's talking about are falling apart? What if it's okay that, that corruption is looking like it's getting worse because it's actually getting more exposed what if what if it's okay that this is happening even though a lot of things that are happening while it's crumbling are really not acceptable and even though even though people are suffering because of it in the bigger picture what if we are the conduits of the intelligence that will bring forth a new way that can only emerge as the old systems crumble so we are not advocating that anybody go into denial and pretend like suffering is not happening or to accept unacceptable violations of, of human rights and things like we're, we're not advocating sticking your head in the sand and pretending like that stuff's not happening or and, and not speaking up about it. Those things need to be spoken up about, but from a place of love and centeredness a place of, of a higher knowing that says, yes, I'm not going to stay silent about this stuff that is unacceptable, and I'm going to speak up from a place of knowing that the crumbling needs to occur so that this new, more evolved way of, of being conscious and of problem solving and system building can emerge. 
Uh, so the, this is a bridge, a bridge to the, this new way is what we are believing that all of us in humanity are called to train ourselves to be opening up to and to, uh, to do that, to be okay with not knowing a different way, not knowing that expanded way until it drops in and becomes clear. In other words, again, to go in the opposite direction of thinking we have to know first and instead staying committed to not knowing first so that that expanded awareness has a space inside us to come in. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. And this is a little bit about um, holding the tension of the opposites, isn't it? Um, so it, it's not the same thing as fixing the illusion, as we've said, but it's holding these these tensions of, oh my gosh, there's suffering and there's war and I, I, I want a world that is, you know, has civility and peace in it. And there, there's always going to be an opposite to the thing that, that you want or even a trigger. I mean, this is how I often will contribute to the pool of consciousness is this, I, if I get triggered by something someone is doing on the world stage, then, you know, it's it's a larger example or projection, if you will, but it, I, I look for where that is in me, I find its opposite, and I hold those two together. And I ask grace, right, from my connection to the one thing to inform me what a higher and more serving transcendent energy between those two seemingly polar opposites are. And um, the, the cultivation of trusting that will come and holding myself in a, in a sense of ease as, as it does versus tension or stress because I don't like it, that, that's not grace. That's, that's the illusion, you know, having me by the tail and swinging me around. And I've been there enough to know that doesn't really get me anywhere good that I want to go. So, um, yeah, so this, this and this... Uh, this infusion or this insightfulness that comes when we hold the tension of two opposites that comes from grace, it cannot be accessed without our connection to the one thing. It, it, we have to be connected to the to life in order to receive, you know, the intelligence of life. And if we're not connected and we think we're receiving an answer, it's probably coming from our human mind. So when we're connected to the one thing, when we're holding contrast with grace, and when we're receiving a higher w more wiser energy as a result of those two contrasts that's literally homo spiritus you know in in action if you will mm -hmm. yes indeed thank you it's uh you know th this is what laurie and i refer to in our own languaging as the divine plan and we we as, as you've heard us say in, in almost every episode, we always encourage you to substitute these terms like the one thing and divine plan and things like that with, uh, with whatever wording you use for the intelligence of life or uh, the, the blueprints of, of higher consciousness and higher serving solutions that we don't yet see. Whatever you call that, call it that. Just, just know that Whatever you call that, that's what we're calling the divine plan. Um, and the divine plan is not about war. And if you think about war as 
not just on the Oh, obvious levels like uh, as we record this episode, uh, war in Ukraine. I mean, you know, that's an obvious level of war. But if you think about war in less obvious ways, that to me is even more important, not more important than, you know, I'm not trying to say that the people who are suffering, you know, is not important. It's very important. Uh, But what I mean by more important is that if it's more invisible, it's harder to deal with. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm meaning right now by more important. It's more important that we stay in touch with subtle versions of war. So here's an example of war that takes us away from Homo spiritus. We're at war with bacteria. We're at war against bacteria. We're at war against uh, against different germs and bugs that uh, that are invading us, and and again, you know, those external enemies are the boss of our own health and our own well-being, and therefore the only solution to that is that we have to get something from out there in order to uh, in order to annihilate those things. Virus isn't necessarily a dirty word. It's been around for with human beings and with with all of uh, all of life for uh, since virtually the beginning of life. It evolved life. Viruses evolved life as we yes. Have. Thank you for saying yeah. it more precisely, and that's gotten forgotten in in the mix. What's also got uh, been forgotten is that in the 1800s there was a big war, if you will, actually, between one group in biology and in medicine that was were proponents of the germ theory, the theory that says these outside invaders are the enemy and we have to vanquish them in order for us to be okay. We have to make sure that they never exist anymore. That's what I mean by vanquish. We have to destroy them versus the the in uh, in biology and medicine the terrain theory that said that our internal climate that that's the terrain our internal climate and its level of resilience and well-being enables us to ward off things that aren't good for us that that aren't healthy enables us to recover more quickly when our system temporarily becomes overwhelmed by those 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 nasties and things like that (laughs) and laurie and i aren't saying that one of those two theories is right and one of those two theories is wrong we're saying that one theory has been allowed to take over and wipe out the other theory when it's a both and Yes, there are nasties out there. There are germs. There are unfriendly bacteria. And yes, the people who are more compromised in their terrain are more susceptible to being harmed and possibly dying from those things than the people whose terrain is robust. It's got to be both and. We've got to end the war. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, well said. Well said. This is why we have things like antibacteria or anti um, antibiotics and antivirals and anti 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 anti. It's like an us versus them 
mindset. And that can only come from separation. When, when we're separated, we, we create an us versus them mindset, and then everything becomes a fight against, you know, a war against, a tug of war about, you know, resources and money. And, you know, it, we could just probably make a list longer than our arm. And what I think and feel, and I, David and I both feel this way, is that what's shifting in the collective consciousness is that we believe that humanity is ready to set their weapons down and stop being at war with life with it first with themselves you know there's all these places in ourselves that are at that are in a, a place of unrest right and I, I like to talk about that uh, from an internal perspective of just bl bringing those places to rest that's called healing <laughs> Um, you know, but stop being at war with life and with nature and with each other and, you know, and be taught by nature how to be harmonious in our own hearts and in a harmonious relationship with nature, in a harmonious relationship with others and with animals, with life in general, with, the, with all of creation. And when we are, when we practice that more than what we're currently practicing, which is the against you know us versus them war uh programming <laughs> everything will change and solutions will become available that we can't see when we are still living in that war war programming that that sits inside of the illusion mm -hmm. and also in terms of understanding the backdrop i think it's important to understand how uh, science inadvertently facilitated division rather than unity. Uh, this is not a criticism of science. I think this, uh, I, in my study of the history of science, what I'm about to describe to you was an unintended consequence, not a deliberately designed strategy. And that had to do with the emergence of something called reductionism. Uh, if you're familiar with Descartes, uh, the mind-body split, things along those lines. What science has largely endeavored to do over the past few hundred years is to delve more and more on a bio biological level, more and more into the smaller and smaller and smaller units of the body. And there's great value to be gotten from understanding cellular functioning and uh, intracellular functioning like my, mitochondria and things like that. There's everything right about studying those things, which is why I'm not criticizing science here. What I'm wanting to make sure that you understand is that an unintended consequence of that reductionism is that we inadvertently ended up in a mechanistic model of biology, a mechanistic model of, of how humans function uh, because we lost touch with how, uh, to, to use the everyday languaging, the hip bone is connected to the knee bone, right? <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the interconnection of everything is holism, right? So in astrophysics, we're really talking about the largest macro systems, right? But in biology, the study has been micro. In pharmacology, the study has mostly been micro. If we can create a drug that does 
this one thing in the body, then uh, then that'll correct that one mechanistic thing, that one specific thing that's going wrong in the body. But we're not going to do a full range of research to find out what the impacts on the rest of the body and on the body as a holistic system are as a result of those medications. So it's not that science is wrong. Science is right. But science that's only reductionistic and not simultaneously holistic or macro in its focus is not serving humanity. Uh, and it's, it's time to integrate micro-attention with macro-attention rather than have one drown out the other. Yeah, perfect. And as a counterbalance, uh, Chinese medicine, which I'm steeped in, is is about the micro and the macro. The micro only exists because of the macro. The micro is an extension of the macro, which in, in other words, it, we as a human being are, are an extension of all of the elements of life and nature and our higher self, of we, as we've said before. So we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of this. So what is there to fight against? <laughs> you know, that would, that, that's like saying we're fighting against ourselves. And when we, when we're in a, in a good connection with our, with the one thing, what's more pervasive is unity consciousness versus separation. And it's from that unity consciousness that we wouldn't dare frack, you know, we wouldn't dare pour chemicals in our waterways. I, I mean, those are just two kind of, you know, examples that we hopefully would all agree on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so uh, it's really important to, um, to, to come back to this, this, opposite of division which you know we can just call unity and when and when we can do that just that connection alone shows us how to stop resisting and stop fighting and being at war with that which we do not like including something that another person does mm -hmm. and that is a practice obviously <laughs> oh, without a doubt and part of that practice has to do with us taking responsibility for the fact that the, the divine starts within us. It's not out there somewhere. A lot of the religious education that, uh, that has existed on the planet, uh, especially in the Western world for a long time, uh, has taught lessons about God is out there uh, or uh, you know, your source of wisdom is through the clergy or things along those lines. Uh, and not as, uh, as a, an amplifier of what's in here, but instead of what's in here, right? And so in, in this next stage of humanity, it's crucial that we fully shift into operating from a knowing that the divine, that the connection with higher wisdom, higher love, starts within us, uh, head and heart, connecting head and heart, not keeping head and heart separate, uh, or head, heart, and gut, actually. Um, it, unifying, integrating the divine masculine consciousness and the divine feminine consciousness that is in all human beings, um, as, as, in contrast to gender. Um, internal 
peace versus a state of internal war. A lot of us are in a state of internal war. Uh, how do we know that? Because uh, just very a, a very simple example of that is how many people have toxic inner critics, that part of us that will shame us and blame others no matter what happens. It can always be done better, uh, you know, things along those lines. You can always uh, justify being at war. There's always justification for the separation. When we have warring parts inside us, um, or when we feel like we're at war with some other part of us, or we feel that we're at war with our inner critic, that is going to get projected outward into the world. That's how outer wars happen. They're out picturings, their out manifestings, outer manifestations of internal wars that are unrecognized and unresolved. So this, this emerging out of this fixing the illusion, if we're going to try to fix war out there without first repairing the war inside, that's trying to fix the illusion. Living into the divine is for sure fixing the war outside, doing that from a place of having fixed the war inside so that the steps we take to fix the wars outside can actually be effective. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's every one of us uh, on the planet today have warring parts, unresting tug of wars, dualities, is there some kind sometimes called. And that doesn't mean we're bad or wrong. It, it makes us instruments, and I consider this a sacred duty, actually, but it makes us instruments of the transformation of that energy. So there's less and less unrest, more and more peace in, in me and in anyone I would work with, anyone David would work with, so that there can become a critical mass of more peaceful and less at war beings so that we don't need to keep out picturing war in, in, a, in a large way. So we're each going to give you an example of um, how, how we do it. So uh, is that right? Isn't that what we're doing? Uh, yeah, th there's one last soundbite that I want to offer about this okay. that we had jotted down that I think is juicy enough to, to yeah. not leave in the cutting room floor. A human mind in separation, in a separated state, will always be able to justify being at or fighting against outer war. Yes. Right. So... Um, you know, I'll just use a current day example because of what's going on. You know, I, I look at a person who would invade another country as a bully, for especially if it, you know, if it's seemingly unjustified. I say seemingly because, you know, I'm not actually there. It appears unjustified. So that's like a bully type of a, you know, energy. So I, I've, I actually did this this morning. I looked at myself and I said, okay, so where's the energy in me that can be a bully? You know, and, and it might, you know, someone might say, yeah, but I'm not, you know, I'm not the president of a country or it doesn't matter if there's a trigger about it. <clears throat> I look at it in me and then I say, what's the opposite of being a bully? Well, it's being, you know, kind of like a victim that, you know, the one who's perpetrated upon by the bully. And so I ask for those two seemingly polar opposites of energies. And I hold those in contrast. We talked about that when we first started this episode, hold those in contrast with as much 
ease and grace as I can muster in connection with the one thing. And I, and I ask to be shown what a third transcendent energy between those two, two dueling energies are. And, and I make sure that I get that because that's the way to bring the dual energies to rest. If they're not brought to rest, if they're not acknowledged, accepted, um, seen for a, a, a trans, you know, like an alchemy of sorts, like they're coming up so that alchemy can happen inside of us, um, then then they're going to keep coming back. But if they're given their right attention and right um, healing, you know, requests, then then they won't need to come back. And the third transcendent energy that comes from it. I, I can live myself into, and I would be happy, I'm happy to do that, right? So um, that's that's my way of dealing with some of those energies. And I always find where that lives in my body. So wherever the tension is in my body about bully and victim, in this case, um, I, I look for where that is in my body so that I can go sit with that energy and, and make sure that it, you know, that I'm, I'm hearing it and I'm accepting it and I'm giving it what it needs. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be, because you've done such a wonderful job of giving an internal example, I'm going to give an interpersonal example. Um, the, so a, a, in a lot of the work that I do, there is a person or a group that are saying, I'm right, so you're wrong to another person or group that's saying, no, I'm right, so you're wrong, right? And my, my inner work around that, before I get to the, the outer work, uh, my inner work around that is to keep reminding myself that what I'm hearing from both groups is their surface positions. They're taking a stand. It's kind of like the punchline of a joke without telling the heart of the joke. Um, they're, they're taking a stand. They're, they're, they're taking a rigid position about their solution or their opinion. Their conclusion is right. And therefore, anyone who disagrees with that position must be wrong. And so what I do internally is that I step beneath the level of surface positions, and I remind myself that they arrived at that conclusion as a result of unspoken, usually unspoken, deep concerns and high intentions that they haven't conveyed. So I become curious. Again, I step into not knowing. I don't think I know what they're really saying because all I'm hearing is the surface position. And so when, uh, when I am in that internal state where I know I don't know what deep concerns and high intentions each person or group that's insisting they are right uh, is, is, is trying to attend to, I know that I don't know crucial information that has to be brought out onto the, uh, into the open, into the light, in order for viable solutions to actually be able to emerge. And so then on the outer level, what I do is I ask information-seeking questions of both people or both groups about what those deep concerns and high intentions are underneath the positions they've taken. And lo and behold, much of the time, it doesn't work, what I'm about to say doesn't work when you've got unteachable people, when, when they're just 
addicted to being right. But with people who have even a small amount of openness to learning, when they really start to understand what the deep concerns and high intentions that the other group or person had underneath their position, that opens up empathy, it opens up understanding, and it opens up an interest, a curiosity about how can we create a solution that attends to your deep concerns and high intentions and my deep concerns and high intentions instead of that that delusion of I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, and David, you're David's excellent at doing this and facilitating this with with people. So, yeah. Thank and you. it you know it requires when um, I'm in my right mind, not when I'm not well, in my right mind. Right, right. <laughs> That's true for all of us. <laughs> it takes a, a modicum of self-compassion to do this kind of work, right? To be willing to bring energies to rest. And you were going to say something um, about Zelensky on that self-compassion, weren't you? Yeah, maybe I'll just say something very brief about yeah. this in light of our the time. Uh, length of our episode here. Right. Um, so the uh, we're we're recording this episode in in March of 2022, and at this point in history, this there's a war going on in Ukraine, and Zelensky is the president of Ukraine. And what Lori and I are both noticing about how he's presencing himself in his um, in his press conferences and in his live feeds when he's out in the field and things like that. He's, he's presencing himself as an example of self-compassion, of, of, of holding a compassionate heart in the face of war in a way that does not make him weak. Mm-hmm. His self-compassion and his humanity is actually what is mobilizing a lot of individuals and citizens and countries to support him. So his compassion and humanity is actually what's making him strong and compelling. And Mm -hmm. because of that, whether, uh, and this this goes beyond who's right and who's wrong, because as Lori said earlier, uh, you know, Lori and I don't have any security clearances. We don't know what's really going on Mm -hmm. over there. We don't know what's really in the minds of the the power brokers over there, but from outer appearances and presencing, watching Zelensky's way of presencing himself, he appears to us to have a connection with the one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it, it's a um, it's an unusual position he's in, of course. But he's to to my view, he's displaying really high-level leadership skills. High-level may not be the right word. Not typically exhibited leadership skills, let's say it that way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and offer some takeaways for you, and we'll wrap our time up here together. So um, the first thing we would like to remind you to do is just notice those places inside of yourself where things are feeling like they're tug-of-warring, or maybe there's just one energy that's getting your attention all the time if, you, if you'd be willing to find its opposite energy so sometimes i even look it up in the in the thesaurus like here's the energy that i just frustration i'll use as an example that just continues so i look at its opposite energy up and then i offer those two 
you know, polling, po polarity, pol dueling energy, so to speak, to, to my the one thing and out and wait for grace to help me understand what a better uh, third transcendent energy between the two are. So we're inviting you to just notice that there'll be plenty of fodder. So don't worry, you don't have to go looking for it. It'll just present itself to you. And if it comes too fast and furious, then just ask for it to slow down and come at a pace that works well for you. Great. So what Lori just mentioned are the first two steps or first two takeaways. So I'll summarize them and then she'll, she'll offer the third one. Uh, so the first thing she said is <clears throat> the first place to look is for the tugs of war inside of ourselves. And then the second thing is, is to open up to asking that higher wisdom, higher love inside us, um, how they can come to rest, how those seeming tugs of war can come to rest without us going into a state of justification or judgment, which if we go into justification and judgment, that clamps down, it locks the door uh, that prevents the one thing, wisdom, from, from becoming conscious to us. So those are the first two steps or takeaways that leads to the third. Right, which is to sprinkle a generous amount of self-compassion into this situation. Actually, the antidote to judgment is self-compassion. So self That's a Chinese medicine thing. So, and it comes out of our liver's energy system. So when, you know, the tendency to be judgmental comes from our liver's energy system. Self-compassion is a medicine for the liver and for judgment. So, uh, and we, if we don't have this, then it makes it very difficult for shifts to happen. And this seemingly simple practice that we're describing is a real big one because if you want to go deep, this will go deep. This will go as deep as you want to take it in terms of your internal mending because we carry this tug of war, we carry this separation consciousness, and we carry the antidote to this deep in ourselves. We've carried separation consciousness deep in our DNA for millennia. Mm -hmm. But that separation consciousness has not wiped out or obliterated the higher wisdom and the higher love that's inside us. It's only temporarily masked it. And now it's time to unmask it on every issue, small and large, internal or external seeming. Perfect. Yeah. So find the place of unrest without judgment, ask for self-compassion, connect to your higher self. And, and then what, what, what will emerge, the insights that will drop into you, into your awareness by grace is, is literally this third transcendent energy that I've mentioned before. And it, it's a version of wholeness or wisdom or peace. Um, and and it, it, it comes out of the friction of those two dueling energies and uh and and that's that's the reason to do this work because it's it's very liberating once once you feel that if you haven't already mm -hmm. and that then that liberation ties directly into our next episode uh was there anything else you wanted nope. to say before i yep. so our our next episode is going to be on spiritual resilience why resilience? Why the whole notion of resilience that is getting more and more attention these days remains limited and incomplete and not, not fully capable of taking us where it can go without 
the one thing. So there's phys physiological resilience, there's psychological resilience, and there's spiritual resilience. We're going to be covering in the next episode spiritual resilience. So until next time, remember to dance with your better half, your version of whatever you call the one thing, so you can keep living more and more fully as homo spiritus.